This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the Bible has so much to say about God's unchanging nature, which is really a great comfort when we think about how much our lives can change, not only in small ways, but sometimes in very dramatic and unexpected ways that can upend our whole lives. And when that happens, what do we do? Well, my next guest has some wonderful guidance about dealing with those big changes in life and learning how to walk through them as we trust in our unchanging God. So we're going to talk today with Dr. Jeff Shreve. He is pastor of First Baptist Texarkana and founder of From His Heart Ministries. And today we'll be discussing his book, Life Interrupted, How to Face a New Normal. Jeff, it is great to have you with us today. How are you? Doing great, Janet. It's so good to be with you. You're you're one of my heroes. Oh, no. Well, you're one of mine, Jeff. It is my honor to have you here, and it's just great to hear your voice and great to read your book. This is such a practical book. I love practical Christian books because I don't know of anybody who has not at some time in his or her life had to deal with a new normal. Have you found that to pretty much be the case as you've been a pastor? Yes, for sure. And uh, I... I preached this uh, series of messages uh, a number of years ago at our church um, when we were facing a change in the church. A, a gentleman who had been on our staff for 30 years had retired, and the people were nervous about that and what kind of change is, is going to come. And so that was kind of the impetus for these thoughts to really uh, flow through my mind and just to search the Scripture to see what does God have to say about big changes in life, because they happen to everyone. Yeah, they sure do. And, you know, as I mentioned a little bit a moment ago, change is normal, but there's a big difference between everyday changes, like what I eat for lunch, versus a huge change in life, a death or some traumatic situation. How would you characterize what it means to have a new normal? Well, I think a new normal is something that comes into your life that uh, greatly changes, as you said. It's not just a a little inconvenience, but it really changes uh, your day-to-day. So the loss of a spouse is going to greatly change that. Uh, Moving from one city to another will greatly change that. The loss of a job and, and the finances that are associated with that job those are those are traumatic things that come in if you get into an accident and all of a sudden I can't do the things that I used to do uh, that's a new normal for sure and it takes some time uh, for us to process that and uh, and to be able to move on with the Lord and so you know we talk about that in in chapter one uh, life does go on but but there's some mourning that is going to take place with those massive changes. Yeah, you're right. Well, you talk, for example, about Joshua and the Israelites and Moses and everything that was going on in the Old Testament. How do you see Joshua as someone to read about and take to heart as you may be experiencing a new normal? Um, Joshua is such a wonderful uh, character in the in the scripture. And, 
you know, one of the things I like about Joshua is I'm doing a sermon series on his on the book of Joshua right now. Joshua was told by God on numerous occasions, uh, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Yes. That's Joshua chapter 1, verse uh, 9. But he tells him that throughout the book. And, you know, I think with Joshua, the reason the Lord keeps telling him that is because he's probably prone to be afraid. Uh, I wouldn't want to follow Moses. <laughs> and so he's got some fear there that the Lord has to constantly tell him, I'm with you. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I think that those words, especially to someone who has lost a loved one or has faced something very traumatic, to know that God has said, I'm, I haven't left you. Right. I'm here. And uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, when you pass, uh, w- when you face the dark valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear any evil because he's with you. And I think just that knowing the presence of God is here with me in this dark valley, in this difficulty, that is, uh, that's worth it all because it's like, okay, I'm not facing this by myself. Yeah. And he promised he will not leave me in this uh, in this difficulty. Yeah, it's so comforting. When you talk about Joshua and the Israelites going through these steps to dealing with massive changes in life, the first being you mourn. And I think this is, is such a basic truth, but sometimes people forget. It's okay to mourn. It's okay right. to experience the loss that you've walked through. Right. Yeah. Um, when I was a young Christian, um, I had a situation where I got I got greatly embarrassed in a Sunday school class. Well, actually, before the college department, and I, I had this idea that if you are a Christian, things shouldn't hurt you. Hmm. And I had a, a wise uh, older gentleman tell me. He said, "Jeff, he said if you get punched, uh, is it and it hurts? Does that mean you're not a strong Christian?" And I said, well, no, that doesn't have anything to do with that. He said, today you got punched in your emotions, Hmm. and it's okay to hurt. And that was like a revelation for me. It was like, you know what? God's not expecting me to be this uh, Superman that doesn't ever feel pain. Um, And so I was able to release tears and and to just express, Lord, I'm hurting here. And, uh, you know, the Scripture says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So he understands and he ministers to us in those times where we're really, really hurting. Yeah, he really does. Yet you do reach a point where you stop mourning. And, you know, that's such a tricky thing, though, sometimes because everybody is on a different timetable and it all depends on what the loss was. If you, for example, you tell a story of a couple, I think, in your church who lost a child and really hung on to their mourning in a very unhealthy way. But for other people who walk that same road, they may be able to heal faster. But it's tough. I mean, how do you know when to advise someone or can you ever advise somebody to stop mourning or does it just have to run its course. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think you have to have a pretty solid relationship with that person to be able to speak into that situation. Uh, we have a, a man in our church, a wonderful man who lost a son, and um, and he, he and his wife had a hard time with that. And he, he shared with me, he said, at our old church, he said, the pastor told us, hey, you need to quit mourning this and start moving on. And right or wrong, it just uh, it was very difficult for him to hear. They ended up leaving the church, mm-hmm. and they they ended up coming to ours because of that. And um, so I didn't really know he was he was starting to heal when I met him. But um, it, that's a that's a hard thing. I think you really have to be led by the Lord to to be able to 
speaking to someone's life there. Right. Easier to do in a sermon because then I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to everybody. And, uh, you know, if, if the Lord impresses this upon your heart that he's talking to you, then, then you take it to heart. Yeah, but it is a necessary step, isn't it, to embrace your new normal in order to accept where you are. You think of the stages of grief that people will talk about and anger and acceptance and mourning and everything, and then eventually you're able to move on. But, but that's just a natural thing, is it not? You have to stop mourning or at least mourning with extreme emotion in order to get to a place where you say, well, this is what the Lord has given me to walk through. Now I just have to trust him. Right. And you know, one of the, one of the uh, illustrations in the book comes from the life of Johnny Erickson Tata yes. and how she, you know, with that massive change, she breaks her neck and now I, I'm a quadriplegic in a wheelchair and wanting to die. And that statement that she makes is so powerful. Lord, if I can't die, then show me how to live. Hmm. And she had come to that place of, okay, this, this is my reality. This is my new normal. So now what do I do? Right. Uh, I, don't, I can't just give up. I can't just quit. Um, you know, Joseph is another good example in, in the book of Genesis. I mean, he could have just said, well, this just stinks, and I hate my brothers, and uh, I'm just going to pout the rest of my life and, you know, rot in prison. But he didn't do that. He kept trusting God. Okay, this is my lot in life. So if I'm going to be a slave in Potiphar's house, I'm going to be the best slave he's ever seen. Yeah. If I'm going to be a prisoner in the king's prison, I'm going to be the best trustee they've ever seen. And uh, he constantly uh, pressed into the Lord and trusted the Lord, and God blessed his life and was able to promote him in the story of Joseph to the number two man in all of Egypt. Yeah, and isn't it great that we know the end of that story so we can say, wow, that's what we need to shoot for, is to trust in the Lord even when we walk through those very deep waters. Dr. Jeff Shreve, my guest, we're going to take a break and come back discussing his book, Life Interrupted, How to Face a New Normal. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new healthcare program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the healthcare program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a healthcare sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford for Preborn. Candace talks about finding out she was pregnant. Thankfully, an ultrasound provided by Preborn allowed her to hear her baby's heartbeat. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. 
you guys are giving love. Preborn has 10 centers that do not have ultrasound machines. Would you make a leadership gift and sponsor a machine today? These life-saving machines cost more than most centers can afford. Your tax-deductible gift of $15,000 will place a machine in a needy women's center and save countless lives for years to come. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Glad you're with us and glad to be talking with Dr. Jeff Shreve. He is pastor of First Baptist Texarkana and founder of From His Heart Ministries. And we're discussing his book called Life Interrupted, How to Face a New Normal. And any deep water you have to wander through, you're never doing it alone. You always have the Lord with you. But it can be a really tough situation to walk through some very trying times. And Jeff is helping us to do that. You also talk, Jeff, about Isaiah. Can you give us some insight from Isaiah on how we deal with the new normal? Yes. So, you know, the relationship that Isaiah had with Hezekiah, with, uh, with King Uzziah, where they were family members, um, and he, was, he really looked to him, and the king had been the king for so many years. That was a major, major blow when he died. Yep. Um, and what God teaches us in, in chapter 6 is, hey, the real king is alive and well. Amen. So you just need to keep your eyes fixed on me because leaders come and leaders go, but the the Lord reigns forever. As it says in the book of Psalms, the Lord sat as king at the flood, the Lord sits as king forever. And so the emphasis that I make on in that chapter is that, you know, the, the king is not dead. The king is alive. God is still in control. You can still trust him no matter what. You just need to keep your eyes on him. Yeah, that's great. Well, some of the things that you point out in the book when you talk about the king being in complete control, you also add that he's holy and he's righteous. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is recognizing his righteousness is as filthy rags. But how does that come into play, Jeff, when you're considering the wonder of the Lord and his role in our lives and his sovereignty in our lives, but the fact that he is good, that he is in fact perfect without any sin whatsoever. Why should that matter? Well, because, you know, when the bad things happen to us that we don't like, unwanted and unwarranted changes, you know, because they come in and God didn't check with us ahead of time. Hey, if this this happened, are you okay with that? They just come. And so we have to know that because God is holy, 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 uh, he never makes a mistake. There's no unrighteousness with God. You know, as James says, that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. God doesn't have a dark side. Uh, He is just light. And so everything that he does, although I don't understand it, I can trust him in it. Because I know that this is, he's going to work this together for my good. He knows what he's doing. He sees the end from the beginning. I don't, but I can trust that he has a, a pure heart and he is a God of love. And what he's doing in my life is going to end up good for me. Adrian Rogers used to say, the will of God for your life 
is what you would want for yourself if you had sense enough to want it. Wonderful. And I like that. <laughs> I like that too. And, and don't you think when you look back over the course of your life, you're jogging my memory here about a lot of things that I've been through. And I think I wouldn't have chosen going through X at the time. You know, that wouldn't have been something that I would have wanted the Lord to put me through. But then you have years go by and you can see God's providence looking back and not only see the work of sanctification that that brought about in your own life, but sometimes sometimes you can see a connecting of the dots. Well, if that hadn't happened the way it happened, this thing that came later might not have turned out the way it did. And that was wonderful. So you begin right. to see. And I mean, have you had that experience, Jeff, when you're looking back through your life? Sometimes some of the worst things that you thought happened in your life turned out to be some of the best things when it came to glorifying God. Yes, and it, my wife and I just reminded our youngest daughter, Sarah, she just graduated from PA school, and she was rejected, uh, I think, three times trying to get into PA school. And we said to her, Sarah, do you realize that if God had opened the door and you had gotten in the first time, you wouldn't have met your future husband? Oh. You wouldn't have been where, you, where he had you because of these setbacks. He put you in position to bless your life. And so... Uh, you know, one of the things that um, I was thinking about uh, was with Job. You know, Job went through horrible things. I mean, beyond what we can comprehend. And he wouldn't want to do that again, obviously, in his lifetime. But he said, I, I heard of you, God, with the ear, hmm. but now my eye sees you, and now I repent in dust and ashes. He had such a, a clearer picture of who God is because of what he went through than he ever would have had if those things had never happened. And uh, I think that is, that is worth it all. It's like, Job, are you, are, you, are you glad that you went through that? He would say, yes. I, I don't really want to repeat it, but I'm so glad I went through it. Well, and you think about Job being told your story is a book of the Bible. And you have encouraged people suffering for centuries because God used your story to encourage others through so many years. Right. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And he's an amazing guy. You know, the Lord speaks about him, even if in the book of Ezekiel, even if Job were here praying, uh, he could only deliver his own life. Hmm. And so Job is a very, very special guy. He mentions Job and Daniel and Noah, three heavy hitters. That's awesome. What about losing your song? This is one of the things you write about in the book as well. People who just are giving up hope. God has forgotten me. I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to get past this. This is the end. What do you say to a Christian who is in that position, who's just so depressed and despondent about circumstances that God seems like he's not even listening to my prayers anymore? Right. I think there are a lot of people get there and uh, Psalm 137, you know, is what we use in the book to that psalm of lament for the uh, the captives in Babylon. Yeah. And they had they had hung up their harps and said, you know, I can't sing anymore. Uh, lost my song. I always encourage people with Romans 15:13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think to just constantly remind yourself that God is the God of hope. And when something, when he closes one door, he opens another. And, you know, just like the, uh, the situation with Joshua, hey, Moses might be dead, but God's not dead, and he's got a promised land for you to take. <laughs> and there is 
uh, a Jordan to cross, and there is a land of joy that you might not be able to see, but it's out there. And uh, as you trust God, even through the tears, and you, you say what Johnny Erickson did, if, if I can't die, then show me how to live, and you continue to trust Him, continue to praise Him, continue to look to Him, God will, uh, he will bring the light on. He will uh, bring joy back into your heart. Yeah. He'll change you to where you can say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's great. I, You know, I can't help but think about the words of the Lord on the cross, too, when he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we know, reading the Bible these many years later, God had not forsaken his son. He turned away because of sin being atoned for at that moment. But you know, he would be resurrected on the third day. That's a comforting thing for me when I read that, because I said, God doesn't forsake. We see this again and again. You quote, in fact, the original, I loved this, Jeff. You quoted the original language of, I think it was Hebrews 13, five and six. I will not, never, never leave you. And I will not, never forsake you. I mean, right. that that's so much better than the English translation because it, it couldn't be any stronger. I'm not going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And he never, never does. No, he doesn't. You know, in Isaiah where the Lord says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor the flame kindle upon you. For I'm the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Uh, those are just verses of great encouragement and even when God feels a million miles away, Psalm 13, I preached a sermon on that years ago, and I, I called it, When God Feels a Million Miles Away, <laughs> because David is saying, Lord, where are you? You know, have you forgotten me? Well, I need you. Give me light in the darkness, lest I die. Yeah. And then he finishes that psalm, and he says, Yet I've trusted in the loving kindness of God. And I know God's going to come through, because that's the character, and that's the nature of God. And so... Uh, a friend of mine said one of uh, one of the words that we need as Christians to remember is the word yet. Hmm. Things haven't happened yet. It doesn't mean they're not going to happen. It doesn't mean God is not going to answer my prayer. It just means it hasn't happened yet. And uh, so I need to keep trusting him. Great point. You know, Great point. David, I Yep. The way you say it in your book is you say you trust God to make things right in his time. But so often right. we, we want to determine the time schedule. Now I want you to solve right. my problem, right. Lord. You know, right. he's God, we're not. Why don't we go back more often to, to Romans and remember that he's the potter, we're the clay. We need to get that right. straight sometimes and recognize that we have a very benevolent, loving and merciful father who is that potter. Right. And, you know, the other thing, Janet, when with people who are facing our listeners, uh, you know, no doubt there are a lot of them that are facing really serious situations and a new normal that is just very, very hard uh, to know that your job as a Christian, really, if you boil it down, Jesus said, Revelation 2.10, be faithful until death, yep. and I will give you the crown of life. Yep. We don't, there's never a time that we shine more brightly for the Lord than when we're going through a very dark valley and a, and a very difficult situation. Because if we can continue to trust Him, continue to praise Him, and continue to look to Him, that is such a testimony to a lost world. Yeah. There's something about this Christianity because this person is still trusting, praising, and, and singing the praises of the Lord. That's an excellent point. Good reminder. And and ultimately, what we want to do, as you mentioned, is finish our race strong. And we do that, as you say, by staying committed to the Word of God and the work of God and stay assured of the reward of God. 
this is really, I think, a comfort again to say that Jesus saved us so we could finish the race and finish it strong. That, that we're not running this race by ourselves, Jeff. Right. That's exactly right. And, and the Lord has a purpose for our lives. I have a lady in our church, Janet, she says this, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. <laughs> and if you have a purpose, you have a praise. And I love that. That's great. And so no, no matter what has happened, if you're still alive, if your heart's still beating, you know, Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. If you have breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to praise Him and to shine and share. That is perfect. Well, the name of the book is Life Interrupted. Dr. Jeff Shreve with us. And what a delight to have you, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, Janet. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, me too. God bless you. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford today. They say the only sure things in life are death and taxes, but I doubt there's anybody on earth who hasn't also experienced a third reality, and that is affliction. It's why I've always loved Psalm 3419, which says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The question is, how should we consider Christ in affliction? This is the title of a new booklet from Dr. Joel Beakey, who is president of Puritan Reform Theological Seminary and a pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He is here now to offer some biblical wisdom on this very important topic. So good to welcome you back, Dr. Beakey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Great to be with you again, Janet. Well, great to have you here. And you say you are addressing this question of how to live Christianly through affliction. There is obviously a difference between somebody who does not know Christ who is suffering and someone who does know Christ. But what is the (laughs) distinction there, to live Christianly even though you're going through some affliction? Right. Well, there's all kinds of techniques in coping with affliction. I mean, you can count to ten and hope you you, you know your your trial is well more uh, lessened in its intensity. You can you can uh, try other secular techniques. But what I discovered in my own life was if you if you really focus on Jesus and what He went through, and compare it to what you're going through, and you understand that He's bringing you through affliction to sanctify you, that's more help than anything else in the world. So a Christian has better tools to cope with affliction than a non-Christian. Very true. Now, when we talk about the reason for affliction and the purpose of affliction, we have to go back, obviously, to the fall of man. It's all rooted in Adam. What do Christians need to understand about the reason for affliction when we do look back to man entering into sin and how those things are connected between Adam and, and me and my affliction? Yes, yes. Well, as Christians, we, we, we teach, uh, echoing Paul, of course, in Romans 5, that the guilt of Adam's sin, because he was representing the whole human race, is imputed, that is, it's reckoned to the account of every person that comes into the world. So we come into the world stained with original sin, and the pollution of that original sin is passed on from generation to generation. 
so that when we're born, our parents pass on that pollution to us because Adam is not only our covenantal head, he's also our our natural head. Mm -hmm. And so as we grow up, there is not a single parent, and I think everyone will agree to that, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, that has to teach their child how to sin against any one of the Ten Commandments. Yes. It all, it all comes naturally. So we come into the world with a, with a bad heart, and we soon get a bad record because we're sinners before God. And affliction is one way of God saying to us, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with your sin. But if we're in Christ, if we're in the second Adam who rep- represents us, then affliction is not judicial, not punitive, but it's sanctifying. It's, it's done by, by our Father. And so, as Hebrews 12 says, our Father chastens us or disciplines us for His glory and for our good, that we might be partakers of his righteousness and of his holiness. Yes. That's a whole lot better. Yeah, it is, because there still is this leftover mentality, I think, even among believers, that if something really horrible happens to me, maybe my child got a disease that can't be cured or someone died or some horrible tragedy, that somehow God was punishing me. How do you really comfort a Christian in that truth that you just expressed, that affliction is not punishment against the Christian? Well, what I do, and I've done this literally in my lifetime with hundreds and hundreds of people, even thousands, I would say, I take them to Hebrews 12, and I walk them through the first 14 verses of Hebrews 12, which specifically says that God does not punish his people as judge, but is treating them like a father. In fact, it goes on to say that if you don't have any of this affliction, then you're an illegitimate child and not a child of God, because God uses affliction to sanctify us, to make us more dependent on Christ. And so that's the basis, actually, of my, of my little book, right. when it says in verse 3, for consider him that endured, that is Jesus, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Well, that's such a good thing to say, because we do always have to go back and look at Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. So when you tell people to first consider Christ's passion, when you are in affliction, when you're going through some sort of a trial or difficulty or suffering of some sort, how do you advise Christians to consider the passion of Christ as a means of comfort or a means of, you know, some sort of rationale for understanding more clearly that what you're going through has a context when you look at what Jesus went through. Let me, let me just back up and, and say it this way, Janet. When, when uh, I, I've pastored several hundred people in my lifetime that have gotten cancer, and at first they're shocked and they're, they're overwhelmed, and, and then at some point they'll come back to me and they'll usually say something like this. You know, I, I went to, the, to get my chemotherapy and I sat in a room with a all kinds of people that had cancer. And I looked around the room, and I said, you know, I don't have it very bad compared to so many of these other people. And it actually helped me to realize it could be much worse, right. and so on, that type of thing. Now, you multiply that times 10,000 when you look at Jesus and you say, he was perfectly innocent. And he suffered and died for me and went through Gethsemane and Gabbatha and Golgotha and was tried in all points, Hebrews 4.15, like I am, yet without sin. And he never sinned once throughout it all. And he did that all for me, 
far worse than I've ever experienced, and he was perfectly innocent, and I'm at least partially guilty? Wow, that's amazing. So if he took his big cross and went through it sinlessly and gives me the grace to go through my small crosses, then I'm, I'm ready to do that, and I want to do it to his honor and his glory, and I want to look to him and his sufferings as I pass through my sufferings. And as I look at his sufferings, I say, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that my sufferings are so small compared to what you've had to go through for, for me. Right. Well, and when you consider why Christ suffered, why Christ went through way worse than we ever will in our life, just from the physical punishment that he went through, being crucified and being whipped and being, you know, having a crown of thorns put on his head and the humiliation he went through and he was innocent. It's interesting because he did that because of my sin in the first place. And the love, you know, the love that God has for us is something that I don't think I take enough time to really consider that that it was love for the father to obey his father and to fulfill what God had promised from the very beginning that he would send his only begotten son to save us. Love in and of itself, the love of God is so comforting. Just knowing that, yeah. That's right. And then then you end up saying something like this, don't you? Well, if he died for me, can't I at least live? for him Amen. through this affliction and, and bring him glory by, by being submissive under it. Do you think part of the problem that we sometimes have is when we are suffering, we have a tendency to become self-absorbed? And I don't mean that in a mean way. I, anybody who gets a cancer diagnosis or news of a terrible car crash or something like that, of course, you're going to consider your sufferings immediately. But to dwell on them is to not really understand them or to understand God's greater purpose, like you mentioned in Hebrews chapter 12. That, that's right. That's right. And if you take a step back and you look at it objectively, uh, especially as, as, from a pastor's perspective, when I look at the people in my congregation that are extremely mature spiritually and are really godly people, sanctified, almost inevitably they're people that have gone through quite large dosages of affliction at some point in their life. And if you ask people, you ask Christians, When's the time in your life you felt the closest to God and you were living, you were living the most godly, uh, most dependent, most, um, using, mostly using the spiritual disciplines with profit? They will almost always tell you it was in times when I was afflicted. Yes. And so David says, it was good for me to have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. And I think that's what we need to learn. And we, we, when we first get affliction, it's hard to get into that mode right away. But as affliction settles in deeper um, and and sanctified, then then spiritually mature people will respond even to cancer and say, you know, I wouldn't trade this for anything because God has brought me closer to him. And this is, I'm considering Christ in this affliction and it's good for my soul. That's right. Well, Dr. Joel Beakey is with us. We're going to come right back on Janet Mefford today. Stay with us. This is Janet Mefford. On a 100-degree day in Ethiopia, Africa, hundreds gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and some walked an hour to be there. Afterward, 30-year-old Cademan frantically copied scriptures from an old Bible to a piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to its owner, one of only a few in that church of hundreds to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, and is faithful at Sunday worship, but he's never read a single 
single verse in his own Bible because Bibles are very difficult to obtain where he lives. Whoever comes our way and is able to give us a Bible, it will be a great blessing. Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send God's Word to a new believer in Africa. $5 sends one Bible. $50 sends 10. Call 800-YES-WORD. 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $100. $99 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And the Bible says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. A wonderful passage. And we're talking about how we should consider Christ in affliction. We all suffer affliction of various types. And Dr. Joel Beakey is with us, president of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. His great book on this topic is our topic of discussion. Dr. Beakey, you are so on the money when you were making the point that some of the most mature, godly Christians you've ever met are those who really walked through affliction and said that, that those places of suffering were really the places where they grew to know Jesus Christ like they had never known him before. And isn't this going back to the fellowship of his sufferings that the Bible talks about? Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. And that, so it has, it has great advantages for us in the vertical level between our relationship between God and us. But then it translates to the horizontal level because Paul says we, we need to comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God in, in our afflictions. And so it's when you're really afflicted and it's been sanctified to you that you can be a good counselor for other afflicted Christians and non-Christians. That's great. Now, another thing that you implore Christians to do is to consider the power of Christ when you are afflicted. And I think of Matthew chapter 11, where, where Jesus says, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm gentle and humble in heart, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And these sometimes are hard words when you really are in the fire of affliction to say, how do I cast my burdens on you, Lord? What do I do in that moment to consider how powerful you are as opposed to how weak I am? Well, think, of, think about this. Uh, Jesus is walking to Jerusalem for the last time, and he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he knows it. And there's a crowd thronging around him, Mark 10 says, and suddenly he hears the cry of Bartimaeus, a blind beggar despised by nearly everyone, and he he. He calls him to himself, and he heals him and says, uh, 
you know, I, I will be thou, be thou healed. And think of Jesus. He's in the middle of his humiliation and suffering, and he's got the power to do that. Now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father, free of any infirmity. What power he has. And then think about the power he's going to have on the judgment day when he comes and judges all men. He's got power to help you hmm. in every affliction that, hmm. that comes your way. And so you go to him not only as the suffering Savior to help you to understand why and to be sanctified by him, but you also go to him as the almighty Savior who can deliver you from every affliction right. and who can give you strength to bear it. Right. Well, the other thing that you mentioned is the presence of Christ. This, to me, is one of the most comforting things of all. All of these are so important, but that that's the one I run to usually when I'm in the midst of any suffering is, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, and the promise of Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. That, that Just having this comfort of God's presence is so important, and so many Christians who suffer talk about that. Just, Lord, I want to feel your presence. What does it mean, though, to rest in the presence of Christ at a moment like that? Well, it means, it means, for one thing, that you learn to appreciate the doctrine of Christ's intercession at the right hand of the Father mm. more than you ever have before. Because Great. Hebrews 7.25 says he ever lives to make intercession for us. So what, we, what many people don't realize is that Jesus has the capacity to remember all his people, the millions of his people around the globe at one moment, but all corporately, which is beautiful, but he also has the infinite capacity to remember each individual believer as if he or she were his only child. And so think about it this way, my daily life, if he's remembering me every moment at the right hand of the Father, what do I have to fear? All things shall work together for good to them that love God, and he's keeping me in the palm of his hand so that is, yes, indeed, extremely comforting. So when, I, there, when there's times when I come, come to an end of my own prayers, I'm so burdened, I'm so afflicted, maybe I can only cry out, Lord, Lord, Lord. I can't even put words, I'm so overwhelmed. But you can still say at that point, Lord Jesus, pray for me. And, and he does, and he will. Right. Yeah, and I I wish we talked more about that because I happen to love that. You know, when you go to Hebrews, especially the whole book is about Christ, our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And it's just such a great book. But this issue of Jesus interceding for us, some people will say, well, wait a minute, I'm asking Jesus to pray for me. Why does Jesus need to intercede for me if it's finished? What, What is the truth about that doctrine that Christ continues to make intercession for us as our great high priest? Well, the beauty of it is he's going to his own father and saying, Father, I will, on the basis of my own merits, that we would take care of the sinner in this particular need. And of course, the Holy Spirit indwells us and, and, and does. So, so we will feel sometimes like we're going to be overwhelmed, but, but he will keep us from, from drowning. The water may seem to even come over our head momentarily, but we will uh, come up again for air, and he will keep us. He will keep the feet of his saints all the way to the end. So his intercession is all about, you know, 1 Peter 1 verse 5, we are kept, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. That's great. Oh, so many good verses you're mentioning. Well, another aspect, of course, is considering the promises of Christ. This seems to me to come in very handy when you are praying, but it feels sometimes like you're praying to brass heavens. And Christians will talk like this. I've had moments like this. Well, I I just, it doesn't feel like my prayers are getting through, which is ridiculous because we know objectively that if we're praying in Jesus' name, he is hearing us. Um, But how do you cling to promises when you are not 
necessarily feeling the presence of God or your emotions are all over the place. How do you stand on the promises of the scriptures at a moment like that? By faith, by faith rather than by sight. And the Puritans used to say, you honor Christ more when you rest on the promises and believe the promises when you can't feel it mm-hmm. than when you can feel it. True. Because when you can feel it, well, you feel it, so it's, it's easy to do. But when you walk by faith, when you trust God in, 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 in the naked blindness of faith, uh, it's a wonderful thing because then you're giving God all the glory and you're saying, Lord, I believe, I believe in you, I believe in your word, uh, no matter what comes my way. Right. Uh, something else I love that you said, and you've got so many good people need to buy your booklet and read this because it's just so, so helpful to any Christian who would read this. You have us consider the plenitude or the abundance of Christ, and you talk about his threefold office. I hadn't thought about that angle of considering Christ in affliction in that particular way. How do we apply that? How do we apply the plenitude of Christ to our affliction? Well, think of think of it this way: If he's my prophet, priest, and king, he he really he really meets all my needs. He he's teaching me in whatever I'm going through. He's sacrificed for me. He's paid for my salvation. He's interceding. He's remembering me at the right hand of the Father as priest, and then as king, he's ruling and guiding me in every detail of my life, so that even every hair of my head is numbered. Thus, in every area where I have need, he's there in all the plenitude of the infinite capacity, since he's also God, of all his offices. That's great. That's so great. All this is such good advice. Another aspect that I was considering in the the affliction category is the fact that when you go to Hebrews 12 and you're talking about God disciplines those whom he loves, you think of John 15, where Christ is talking about the fact that every branch in him that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Would you draw a distinction between pruning and discipline as far as the purposes of God in suffering? Hmm. Yeah, pruning pruning is God's way of disciplining us, but it's it's again it's a fatherly discipline. It's not a discipline in anger. It's it's for our betterment. So just as a father, as hard as it is for him at times, uh, knows he loves his son the most when he disciplines him and prunes him for his own good, so God knows when to prune us back for our own good. Right. Would you, you had mentioned before Hebrews chapter 12 and how you've walked a lot of Christians through that when this subject comes up. Would there be any other passages that you would recommend that you would find to be helpful to people who may be in deep affliction right now? Yes, I often counsel my my church people to um, start at Isaiah 40 and read to the end of the book. Mm, Great. Also, of course, direct them to the Psalms, and some some of the Psalms in particular are, are extremely helpful. And I direct them to different parts of the Gospel of John, but also Romans chapter 8 is a very, very special chapter. Yes. When it talks about that we are led by the Holy Spirit and that he groans within us, groanings are unutterable, and he'll bring us through all things, and all work together for good, and there's no separation, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and, and, and he'll carry you through. So nothing in life or in death. You know, the last two verses, 38, 39, and Romans 8 are fantastic. Nothing in life and death, nothing in this world, nothing past, present, or future will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you just hang on to that, you'll be able to hold through 
any affliction that comes your way. Oh, absolutely right. How should we consider Christ in affliction? This is the Reformation Heritage Booklet by Dr. Joel Beakey. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time on Janet Meffer Today. 